Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to you all. Good morning. Um, to all of our Christ Church Madison community, it is a joy to be with you in spirit this morning. Wherever you're listening from, I trust that you have some tea and some coffee and are in a cozy spot. Um, and it's a, a joy to come under God's word this morning together. Uh, we are recording this in front of a small, uh, responsible, socially distanced group. Uh, everybody say hi. Hello. And uh, trust that you're doing the same wherever you are. And just a couple things before we get started. Uh, there's a bulletin. You can definitely just listen, but uh, we put up our bulletin for this liturgy on our coronavirus webpage. And would encourage you to get that before we start. So you could either print it off or you could just follow on it on your computer or iPad or whatever. Um, that's on there as well. And uh, also we'll have some other instructions for how we can participate um, in our own ways uh, in the peace and through giving and all those other things as we go along. But there's instructions, of the, uh, instructions for that on our website. And uh, yeah, we'll get started here in a second. We encourage you just as we are walking through and participating in the liturgy for you to do the same thing with us. And just a, a quick word about the future. Um, we were thinking about it this week, but we didn't get there. But next week, we are hoping to video our whole service, uh, which is very exciting. Uh, Christchurch Madison is not necessarily on the cutting edge of technology, uh, but we're trying to get close to the edge <laughs> and, <laughs> and without falling over. Um, and I know like right now this isn't, you know, very exciting. There's not much to see. Uh, however, I do know that there's something even really significant about being able to, to see the service. And we hope also to have worship music as a part of our video next week. So it will be a full worship service that we will record uh, which we're really looking forward to. So get excited for that. This week, um, uh, Maddie, our worship leader, and Tressa and Marissa recorded worship music for this morning. And that is also on our website. And you can incorporate that into this service as in whatever way you want. So you could listen to that um, afterwards, or you could pause after the collect and listen to a couple songs. It's really, really beautiful. And um, we're really thankful that they got together and did that for our community. So uh, another thing we want to just say is for, for many of us, we live in a household with roommates or a family with four or five people that can make participating in worship meaningful. But for those of us who do live alone, we want to encourage uh, something like quarantine communities or something like that, picking a couple other people that you could go with on a Sunday morning and meet together. Again, kind of choosing maybe the same people or uh just a handful of folks that you can do this in a way that is wise and responsible. But there is something meaningful, I think, about being able to be with other people. Um, and even though we are absolutely uh, following all the CDC's instructions, it's, it is, I think, wise to still have a couple folks that we worship together with because people are still important. So we'll, we'll have more on that later this week. But without uh, further ado, if you want to pause and get the bulletin, we'll dive in. Otherwise, I'll give us a second and we'll turn to page three in our order of service. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. His mercy endures forever. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is the only Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, please be seated or kneel as we confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Confessing together. Most, Most merciful, merciful God, God, 
we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world. Evermore give us this bread, that he may live in us, and we in him, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from the first book of Kings. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and then die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The word of the Lord. Thanks. 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 We'll now read Psalm 23 in unison together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. And please stand for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory, Glory to you, Lord Christ. Christ. 
And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, Is it not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Awesome. Um, again, if you're just listening, my name's Scott, and I'm the pastor of Christ Church. And for the past season, we've been studying Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount on Sunday mornings. Um, but with all that's been happening, we just wanted to take a brief break because our current situation is so significant. We wanted the scriptures to be able to speak into it specifically. And more than anything, I think I'm just eager for us to get biblical tools to help us process and live into what looks like will be a long season of social distancing, even though we're all going to get sick of that phrase like yesterday. Um, and this global crisis is not going anywhere. And of course, our prayer is that we are overreacting by expecting the worst. And how amazing would it be if, you know, in a couple weeks this blows by? But regardless, uh, it's wise to prepare for the possibility of economic and social scarcity. And this really hit me uh, this past week uh, with my friend who, for uh, just out of discretion's sake, I'll name him Zach. So uh, Caitlin, our ministry director, and I, you always have our staff meetings at a particular coffee shop. And there's always a particular barista at this coffee shop that we're friends with, and I'll name him Zach. And uh, we were there this past Tuesday, which was the last day that that coffee shop and that coffee shop chain was open for the foreseeable future. And this was his main job. And so he was leaving. Uh, he was getting basically laid off of work for he didn't know how long. And I was there at the very end when uh, he was basically clocking out. I was the last customer because I'm a, I don't have an office, so I'm a coffee shop rat. And so I, too, was getting kicked out of my office, but much more serious for him. Uh, and I was there at the very end, and I chatted with him about it and realized he had nowhere else to go. And uh, he was very heavy. Uh, and it what had be what had been hypothetical before for me became extremely real because my friend Zach uh, now does not have a job and has no idea what's going to happen. And so I gave him our email and our church information because I wanted to figure out how we can help him. But I left sober, sobered by this experience in a way that I hadn't been before. So maybe you're out of work uh, like Zach. I know that's a, a thing for many in our church. Maybe you have friends and family who are in similar situations. Maybe you're not yet, but you're reading the headlines and you're worried about your livelihood or where you're going to get your resources or if you'll be provided for. If this is the reality, how do we approach this season? So what is our framework or our modus operandi as Christians stepping into a season of potential scarcity and a heightened sense of need in our community? I think it's really important that we get clear on that now uh, before anything else happens. Christians do not live simply reacting to things as they happen, but rather we prepare ourselves beforehand through the word of God to know how we will act or think in any situation. Let me say that again. Christians do not live simply reacting to things as they happen, but rather we prepare ourselves beforehand through the word of God to know how we will act or think in any situation. So if you've been a part of our church every single week that you have come to church and heard the scriptures read and stood up for the gospel and heard the word of God and responded to it, you have prepared for the season of coronavirus. Praise God. 
And in God's goodness, the Bible is profound in the way it speaks into living in community through seasons of scarcity. It really speaks into this situation and has so much to offer us. And two things in particular come out of our readings this morning. And I'll just give you them up front. That is, in seasons of scarcity, we ask in faith and we give in faith. We ask in faith and we give in faith. So if you can, grab a Bible in your house or turn, turn with me in your bulletin to 1 Kings 17. But also, if you have a Bible, man, use it. Um, because you're in your house, probably. And I hope you have one. And if you don't, send me an email and I will buy one on Amazon and ship it to you. 1 Kings 17, verses 8 to 16. This is a precious story from the Old Testament, and it is a picture of intense scarcity. The context here is that there's this great famine in the land, so great, in fact, that rivers and streams are literally drying up because there's no rain. And as you know, no rain means no grain. And so people are suffering from lack of drink and food, the result of which is mass natural and political turmoil that's felt on every strata of society. Poorest of the poor and kings are being affected by this. And in this context, God tells the prophet Elijah to go out to the land of Sidon, which was outside of the land and people of Israel, to a widow there, so that God could provide for Elijah in the midst of the famine. Now, this is super bizarre for a lot of reasons. For one, God is going to provide for Elijah, the Israelite prophet, through a Gentile, which that's scandalous in its own right. And also... A widow in the ancient world would have been the most vulnerable and the most under-resourced in all of society. And this is a Gentile widow. So this is the utter opposite of what you would expect. You'd think God would say, I know a really rich guy who has tons of grain stacked up because he's been storing it forever and you can go there and get some from him. But it's the opposite. It's almost like God is like stacking the deck against his favor, which is something that he actually does throughout Elijah's story. Remember him? pouring water on the wood before he sets it on fire. It's almost like he's doing the same thing here. So we should be thinking, what in the world does a poor Gentile widow have to offer the prophet of the Most High God? Why is God sending him there and to her? God wants us to ask that question because he's going to do something amazing and through it teach us something profound. And again, the first thing we're thinking about here in terms of living in scarcity is that we ask in faith. That's what we're going to see. So let's start in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. What? So he arose, and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked and only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So let's think about this. This is absolutely ridiculous. There's this poor widow who's literally gathering sticks to make a fire in order to cook her last meal for her and her son before she dies. And Elijah has the gall to ask her for some food. She asks her for a handout at her last meal before her death. Some of us have a hard time even asking for like gas money or like splitting a check at a meal. Can you imagine this ask. Now remember, Elijah isn't asking because he's insensitive. He doesn't just like live by asking widows if he can have some of their food. He's asking because God commanded him to ask the widow. And God commanded him to ask because asking for help in times of scarcity is an invitation to faith for both parties. Asking for times of help in scarcity is an invitation to faith for both parties involved. So think about it. On the one hand, it's an act of faith for Elijah to ask. God commands Elijah to make himself vulnerable to the most vulnerable. God commands Elijah to trust that he really can provide in impossible ways, but Elijah has to be obedient first by actually reaching out for help. And for the widow, being asked was an invitation to faith. It was a gift to her. 
before this passage, God was providing food and drink for Elijah through a river and through ravens, which is crazy. It's even crazier than a widow in some ways. These ravens would bring him bread and meat every day as he was living in the wilderness. So God could have just continued to feed him through natural means. Remember, this is the God of manna and the God of water from rocks, like we talked about mm-hmm. last week. God did not need to involve the Sidonian woman. He chose to involve the Sidonian woman. He chose to put her in a ridiculous situation where, while she was preparing the last meal of her life, she was asked to give her food away. I love, uh, we put a painting uh, from the Dutch Golden Era painting on the front of our bulletin this week of this scene, and I love the woman's expression in the way that this artist rendered it. it says more than a thousand words where she's just like, are you really <laughs> asking me right now for, for food? And you see the sadness and the suffering in her face as well. God chose to put this woman in that situation. Why? So that she could meet the living God. So that she and her son could experience the glory and the provision of Almighty God being revealed and manifested on earth so that she could deepen her faith. Um, I recently heard a great story about how asking like this deepens faith for all the parties involved. There's this preacher guy I know who was in town preaching at another pastor's church and after the service they went to Outback Steakhouse, which is what preachers do after they preach, I guess. Uh, and while they were there, the guy, no, realized that the waitress looked downtrodden and he's the kind of guy who asks random people how they're doing and how he can pray for him. And so he did. And the woman broke down and said that her life was falling apart and she had no money and her car was about to break down and she didn't know what she was going to do. So the guy who was just in town said, well, that's no problem. My friend, and he pointed to his other friend, is a pastor of a church and they would love to fix your car and solve all your problems. Um, And of course, he said this without discussing it first with the other person, but the other pastor, shocked though he was, was thrilled to be invited into a situation where he could serve someone in need. And then that pastor, the one who actually lived in town, went to another guy in their church who owned a car shop, like a car mechanic shop, and asked this guy if he could help fix this random woman's car or give them a discount to do it for them to pay for it. And the mechanic was overjoyed and wept, saying, I always wanted to start my own business so I could help people. And this is just a reminder of why I got into this in the first place. I would love to. So he comped everything, stopped what he was doing, and fixed this waitress's car. So think about it. The pastor was blessed by being asked because his church community had this invitation to step into what they believe. The mechanic was blessed because he got to use his resources and help somebody was vulnerable. And of course, the waitress was blessed because she got to experience God's provision, even though she didn't even know God or know that Jesus cared about her. They all deepen their faith in the gospel. Asking for help in times of scarcity is an invitation to faith. And this is vintage Jesus. Uh, Jesus loved to ask people for help as an invitation to faith. Jesus loved it when people asked him for help as an expression of their faith. Let me give you an example of both. In John 4, with the woman at the well, which we talked about last week, Jesus is in the middle of the desert on a hot day, and he meets a Samaritan woman. Similar picture of uh, scarcity. It's in the desert. It's well. It's in a well. There's a hot day. Imagine tumbleweeds and like the Western stuff in the background. And guess how Jesus kicks off the conversation? The exact same way that Elijah does. He asks her for a drink. He begins with a question. Again, Jesus did not need her help. His request was an invitation for her to believe. And in the process of their conversation, she does come to know the power of God. And our gospel reading today uh, is perhaps, I think, the greatest ask in all the gospels. And it has remarkable parallels to our story from Elijah. So Jesus decides to enter the land of Sidon himself, same place, and a Gentile woman comes out to ask him for help. She longs for her demon-possessed daughter to be healed, and she begs Jesus for help. And at first glance, uh, we've actually talked about this recently, this story is 
seems really scandalous and unsettling. It seems like Jesus is being super rude because at first he doesn't answer her. He literally doesn't say anything. And actually he just says, after his disciples kind of like freak out, he just says, I'm here for the people of Israel basically. And you'd think that would be enough to send this woman home, but she asks again. And then Jesus puts up an even greater obstacle in front of the woman where he says a proverb about how the first priority being for children and not the dogs in the family, priority to Israel, which is like really shocking. And you'd think then the woman would really be put off and want to leave, but she doesn't. She leans in even more and says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And at that, uh, Jesus erupts with delight. And he says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. Um, it's impossible to read things like tone and facial expression in books. That's one of the things we lose. But we do know just from the story and from Jesus that Jesus was fully aware of this woman's faith. And he was inviting her to continue to lean in and ask. It's like in 1 Kings, it's like he was stacking the deck so the woman's faith would be even more stretched and the power of God would be more manifest. And in the end, do you notice how he directly ties her persistence in asking to the greatness of her faith? He makes a direct correlation there. Jesus loves it when people ask him for help in faith. He loves it. Jesus loves to put people in positions to ask other people in faith. And Jesus loves for people to be asked to help, which invites them to faith. As we enter into times of economic and social scarcity, we must learn how to ask in faith. This is a biblical tool. For many of you, this may be harder than giving. Again, if you struggle to ask for gas money, you're going to struggle to ask for help throughout the season of coronavirus. To ask is to be vulnerable. It's like Elijah, the Canaanite woman. To ask is to admit that you are actually dependent upon others and God. And that could be a situation God brings you in to humble you, to teach you that he provides. This is hard, but it's a good thing. If you don't ask, you not only can't be helped, but you're depriving someone else of the opportunity for faith. What if Elijah would have said back to God, no way, I'm not going to ask this widow. It's her last meal. I'm not going to do that. That's embarrassing. How boring would the story have been in that situation? So in this season of coronavirus, let's be people who ask. And here are two practical things to ask for and ways to ask them. First, ask for prayer and for community. If you are feeling isolated or burdened by this crisis, take a step of faith and reach out for someone to pray for you and enter into whatever you're dealing with. Don't believe the lie that others don't want to do that or that no one else can help. That's a lie. Mm -hmm. People do want to help. People can help. Community in prayer is real. We might forget it over the next season, but it's a real thing. People do want to help and they can. If you're in a soup and bread, be honest with others, even if it's in your online group, which we've tried to, we've joked about, what do we call these little groups? Like quarantine communities or like uh, one of the other pastors in our church said Gnostic clusters, <laughs> disembodied groups, whatever they are. They're real community. If you aren't in an online soup and bread, join one. This morning also from 11 to 12 on Sundays, we have an open hour of prayer ministry. Uh, we have a lot of prayer ministers on our website who would love to pray for you. So reach out. Even if you're not miserable, just reach out and pray with somebody. How awesome would that be? What a gift it is. So reach out for prayer and for community. And second, ask in faith wherever you are actually in physical need. The first church um, that Ellen, the passage Ellen read in the book of Acts, they had everything in common. The community made sure that there was no one in their midst that had any need. That is Church 101, and we have the opportunity to experience that in this coming season. But it will require asking. And we are setting up uh, a team of people that are figuring that out and helping us, us kind of resource folks in our church from where there's need and for those who have things or we can give. We're working on having hotlines for all this stuff where people can reach out and it's readily available. So check our website. That's on our coronavirus page. We ask in faith, and that's the first beautiful thing we see from this. And second, we give in faith. We give in faith. 
starting again from verse 13 in 1 Kings. This is where we pick up the story. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. Wow. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Elijah asks in faith, but the woman gives in faith. And this is overwhelming. The woman gives not out of her abundance, but out of her scarcity. She gives away part of the last meal of her and her son's life. Now, when you read a story like this, we read quickly that her house explodes with food. It's the very next sentence. And this is classic Elijah. Wherever this guy goes, life just happens. People come back to life. Rain falls. Uh, It's very prophetic like Jesus. Where the word of God goes, life happens. Mm -hmm. But there was a moment which is buried in between these verses. And actually it's buried in between the very first part of verse 15 and the second. Um, Where it was just her, the Sidonian woman, and it was death and scarcity and the word of this prophet. The prophet's like, no, if you do this, God will provide. And she's like, I mean, you can think of her being like, yeah, right. You're serious. My oil and my flour is all going to come back. But she was put into this moment where she had to make a leap of faith. Do I give away my food on the brink of death? Do I trust the word of God of the word of the God of Israel? Or do I send this dusty, weird prophet back to Israel from whence he came? That moment was the gift that God gave her. God gave her a chance to do the insane and experience God do the impossible. To give out of her scarcity in order to experience provision. You could say that God gave her the opportunity through Elijah to lose her life in order to find it. And this is vintage Jesus. This is the Jesus way. This is the Jesus people way. Jesus people do not give out of our abundance. We just give flat out. We give in abundance We give in scarcity. We give in the morning. We give in the evening. We give someone our other coat when they steal one of our coats. Jesus says that one time. Jesus one time sees some folks who are giving to the temple. And there's a bunch of people putting in a lot of money. And then there's this woman who gives these two little pennies. And Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all. For all of these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, out of her scarcity put in all the livelihood that she had. That sounds like the Sidonian woman, doesn't it? This woman gave out of her poverty. And that is, that is not foolishness. That is faith. That is simply believing the word of God that when we lose our life for God and for others, we find it. That when we give ourselves, God provides. And we can give ourselves. The reason why we would do something insane like that is because the Lord has always already given himself for us. This is the example of Jesus himself. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Therefore, be imitators of God. As beloved children, give like God has given, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The cross is Jesus giving himself fully for us. He gave up all his riches. He gave up everything. Jesus goes further than the Sidonian woman. He didn't just give his last meal before he died so that we could eat. He gave up his life so that we could eat. His body was broken, was crucified for the life of the world. But he believed in God, that God would provide. And that's exactly what God does in the resurrection. Jesus gives up his life and then he takes it up again. And now the storehouses are full. And in the midst of famine, people around the world, throughout history, come to Jesus to eat. 
Hallelujah. So brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, you're a giver. A life of generosity is your birthright. It's your inheritance. It's your family tradition. As we are transformed into the image of Christ, we are transformed into people of radical generosity. We're transformed into people whose first instinct when everything goes insane is not to hoard or to fear, but to give. We see scarcity as an invitation to lose our life that God might demonstrate his glory because we know that in the desert there are rocks that can gush water through Christ. We know that the oil and the flour can be replenished. We know that the dead will be resurrected. So think about these next few months as a precious opportunity. Think of all the ways God might provide if his people respond in faith. Think of the joy and the peace that we could experience by being, as our bishop says, so kingdom responsive that it looks worldly irresponsible. So let's learn from Jesus in the faith of the Sidonian woman. Let's decide now on the front end, before anything gets worse economically, that we are going to be a community of Jesus that gives. While everyone else is preparing to lock down, we're preparing, but we're also preparing to give. And we're on the lookout for places where God is giving us that unique invitation. So we give in faith, we ask in faith. Now I wanna end by helping us think practically about how this works. I am very aware that it can be overwhelming to know who to give to because there's such great need right now. I don't know about you, but my inbox has absolutely been swamped to the point of me hating my email inbox right now from churches, tech companies, restaurants, retail stores, politicians, Geico has reached out to me, like Supercuts has reached out to me. Everybody's saying, we're here from you, we're responding to the crisis, here's what you can do to help those in need. And I know you're getting these because I have given you some of them. <laughs> some of them are from us. Um, and this can be daunting. It's almost like the needs of the entire globe land at your doorstep through technology. And a desire to give or help can quickly turn into exhaustion or guilt because it's like our compassion ram uh, gets overwhelmed and overloaded and you can't process it anymore. And if you don't know what ram is, it's a computer thing and it's how your computer thinks, right? My smart people in the room, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it's overwhelming if you don't know what RAM is. So how do we navigate that? I think that's a real question, and I really want to speak into that because I have struggled with that a lot in the past. Um, and here's just a little anecdote that I think can be helpful. We begin with those in our midst, and that is our church community and our neighbor. Say that again. We begin in this asking and giving scenario with those that are in our midst, and that is our church community and our neighbor. So with our church community, the Bible gives us the unique privilege and responsibility for those in our local congregation. That is our family around our dinner table. Acts 2 shows us this. There was a community in Jerusalem, and that community made sure no one was in need. They used their actual resources for the actual people who were in their life. We are a family, and so it is right and good for us to know that none of us in our community are suffering need. Now, of course, this does not mean that we ignore or don't give to other churches in other nations or even in our diocese. We have done that. We do that. We will always do that. That's another thing the church does in the book of Acts. If you remember, the wealthy church in Antioch gives to the poorer church in Jerusalem. So that also happens. This just means we have a unique commitment to those in our actual congregational life the people with whom you live in actual embodied community. So be keen on identifying needs in our community or in your soup and bread group. Ask around. We have the resources to make sure that no one is in need. If you have a hunch that someone might be in need, reach out and ask them. This is one of our joys as the people of God living in a local congregation. And also we love our actual neighbor. And who is our neighbor? Um, this is the famous question that somebody asked Jesus one time, right? The, all the prophets can be in the, the great Moses and the prophets are summed up in loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor. And somebody says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Um, is it just the people on my block street? Is it all six billion people in the world? Uh, is all of America our neighbor? Is all of Madison our neighbor? 
In one way, yes, that is true in terms of the global neighborhood of humanity. But there is also a way that if we think like that, we can get a messiah complex very quickly and be overwhelmed extremely fast. Jesus answers, who is my neighbor, that question, by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And what becomes clear in the story of the Good Samaritan is that your neighbor is whoever crosses your path. Regardless of their race, regardless of their religion, regardless of their political preference, regardless of even if you like them or not, or if they've been kind to you, your neighbor is the person who crosses your actual path. If you're unfamiliar with the story of the Good Samaritan, there's a guy who gets beat up on the road and basically left to die. And there's like a priest and some Levites, I think like religious people who are walking and they could have been going to donate or give alms to something, but they pass by this person who was actually there in their midst. And the Good Samaritan is the guy who's actually walking and sees there's somebody in need that was right before him where the other people did not see the people who are in their actual midst. So us, for us, this does mean your actual neighbors. Um, there are people that really do live in isolation very close to you. These are the people at your local restaurant. Think of the waitress in the story I told earlier. This is the actual person at your actual bus stop that you are actually sitting on an actual bench. Uh, these are your kids' teachers. So in the asking and the giving, we begin with those who are in our midst, with our church community and our neighbor. And just to finish with a very practical example of how this looks, uh, here's how this has helped Marissa and I think about this. For one, we are looking to you all, uh, to you all in this room and those of you who are listening, our beloved Christ Church community, to see if there's any way that we can help. We have a unique bond and a responsibility and a joy of serving you all and knowing who is in need and meeting the needs in our community. Um, but second, we're looking to see those God is putting in our paths. And this leads me back to the beginning to my friend Zach, the barista. There's a lot of baristas in Madison um, that are laid off work as there are in tons of different industries. And I have a heart for all of them, but I don't know all of them. But I do know Zach, who served me coffee hundreds of times. Um, and I know him, and he is someone that God has put on my heart and Marissa's heart. And so we're going to do what we can to support him and to get to know him in the name of Jesus uh, as an invitation to faith. And with this kind of thing, again, in the asking and the giving, Prayer is always uh, such a special time. If you're thinking, I don't even know, I have a heart to give, or how can I help, or I have a heart to ask because I have need. Um, in prayer, just like the Lord does with Elijah, remember the Lord guides um, Elijah to the widow. And there's something unique there for us to be in prayer as a community for who we help. And if you and your soup and bread or those in your life don't know, maybe you can just pray as a community. Who can we help? Maybe God will bring us somebody that we can uh, resource while they're in need. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now if you can go back to your bulletin, um, we will say the Nicene Creed together as a community. Standing to say this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come.
Amen. So these are the prayers of the people, um, just prayers for all of us together here and in your home. And as I say, Lord, in your mercy, you can respond, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask for your mercy on our city, our country, and our world. We know that your heart is moved by the prayers of your people. And so with humble hearts, we come to you asking you to intervene and to stop this virus in its tracks. We also ask for your mercy for Eastern and Northern Africa, suffering from devastating locust swarms that are killing so much vegetation. We ask you to examine us cleanse our hearts and give us your prayers for our world. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God of compassion, we, clo we close to those, we're, be close to those who are ill, afraid, or in isolation today. In their loneliness, in their consolation, in their anxiety, be their hope. In their darkness, be their light. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Father, give skill, sympathy, and resilience to all who are caring for the sick and the vulnerable, and all who are in public service and making decisions in our diocese. Please give your wisdom to those searching for a cure. Preserve their health and safety. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for all the people who continue to work each day so that people are able to eat. We ask that you bless and protect them as they serve. We pray for those in the workforce today that you would protect their bodies and protect their hearts from the grip of fear. Lord, in your mercy. Father, may we who are merely inconvenienced remember those whose lives are at stake. May, may we who have no risk factors remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home remember those who must choose between preserving their health or making their rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when their schools close remember those children who will go hungry with no school meals. May we who have to cancel our trips remember those who have no place to go. May we who are losing our margin money in the tumult of the economic market remember those who have no margin at all. May we who settle in for quarantine at home remember those who have no home. As fear grips our country, let us choose love. During this time when we cannot physically wrap our arms around each other, let us find ways to be loving, a loving embrace of God to our neighbor through Jesus Christ our Savior whose arms of love embrace us all. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. O gracious and holy Father, give us wisdom to perceive you, diligence to seek you, patience to wait for you, eyes to behold you, a heart to meditate upon you, and a life to proclaim you through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also with you. Um, I encourage you, we are going to do a uh, texting virtual electronic piece. I encourage you to text one or two or ten people in the church community uh, that you know just with the peace of Christ. And uh, I would just love all of our phones to just be blowing up with peace uh, <laughs> for the rest of the day. So. Uh, take some time to do that right now, and also just as a part of our um, normal worship and liturgy with an offering and an offertory, I encourage you to give, to continue to give as a part of your worship, um, and you can find information for how to do that online. It's in our bulletin too, but you can also find that on our website. So I'll just say the offertory sentence before we move on. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. All things come from you, O Lord. And of your own have we given you. Amen. And now we'll turn to page uh, 12. We're just going to finish our, our service here. This is, uh, we are not serving uh, the Eucharist, at least for this week and the next week, as we are 
considering um, how to do that in a safe and responsible way. And uh, there's a tradition in the church and in our liturgy of something called spiritual communion or the communion of desire, which there's an, expl uh, an explanation for this liturgy on the back. Um, but basically, it's a liturgy for those who desire to participate in Holy Communion but cannot. And again, there's a, there's a precedent for this, and our canon theologian put this together for our diocese, for churches who aren't participating this Sunday, and it's really beautiful. So I invite you to join me on verse 12 as we conclude. Not verse 12, page 12. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I now join my heart and mind with all my brothers and sisters in Holy Mother Church throughout the world who gather at your holy table this day to remember your death and proclaim your resurrection. Accept my soul and body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, through the merits of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hasten the day when I may once more draw near with them to receive the most precious sacrament of your body and blood. Amen. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, refresh me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And the peace of God, if you want to just open up your hands wherever you are um, to receive the blessing this morning, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Go forth into the world in peace, rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Thanks be to God.